We cannot let the world tell us the goals for training our children. We need to let the Word of God tell us. I could take weeks and give you a hundred points because there are so many character traits in the Bible. But like the Lord Jesus Christ summarized the whole law of God into two commandments, I want to repeat something that I've given you over the last couple of weeks and I want to elaborate on it. And that is three things that you make sure your children are well established in. And the first of these is the love of God. Jesus said that everything the Bible contains is wrapped up in two commandments. Love of God, love of neighbor as yourself. Let's see if we can't apply that to training children. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to read verses 4 through 7. Are any of you familiar with these verses? Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Are you familiar with that verse? Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Amen. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. Amen. And amen. Amen. And we could keep reading where it tells us to tie them to our hands like a note with the first grader going to school or to paint them on the posts of our house so that they are constantly before us. Now, this is the Old Testament. So what we're drawing from these words is not to teach the law of Moses to our children directly, but God's will for our lives directly to our children. The love of God. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them. Teach them, talk about them. Always talking about God in your house. When you sit down, when you rise up, when you go to bed, when you're traveling, you're talking about God. Everything in the newspaper can be brought back to what would God say about that matter. Every conflict with a brother or a sister can be answered with, What would God have you to do? Every event they bring home from school, if they go to school, what would God say about that matter? When you come home from work and you're telling your family about something that happened to you, the answer is in God's Word. What does God's Word say about that? And teach your children to love the Lord their God by talking about Him all the time. The most exciting thing in your life should be the God that you love. David got to say to Solomon, and he told Solomon from his deathbed, whether he was actually in bed or not, we're not told for this particular sentence, but he said to worship and love and serve the God of thy father. The God of thy father. Did Solomon have to go ask his mother what that was? Was it televised sports? Was it the military? Was it golfing? What was it? Hopefully Solomon knew right well what David loved. David delighted in the Lord God with all of his heart 
And we want our children to see that. The first thing we want to teach is the love of God. Notice the, the power of these words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. We are not worshiping the polytheistic mess of the other nations. We have one Lord, and it's Jehovah, and He's the only God. And we're to love that God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. He wants everything we've got. Are you familiar with that verse? This is what we need to teach to our children. Let the world not set our standards for what we teach. And what I want to give you in a few minutes that we've got is something you can get your hands around. If I gave you too many points, you walk out and say, I can't remember all that. That's too many. I don't even know where to start. In fact, the more I think about it, I'm a failure as a father. In fact, I'm just going to quit and give up. That's what happens when there's too many points. Three points. You can get your arms around them. You can get your hands around them. Teach your children to love the Lord their God. Talk about Him creating them. Make fun of evolution. Answer all questions with what God has said in His Word. Delight and get excited about reading a chapter from the Bible with your children so that they can see that you love the Lord your God and they want to love Him. Tell your children when they go to bed that while they're on that pillow in the dark, they should be telling the Lord that they love Him. Do you ever do that? Do any of you ever do that? I love going to bed. Because in bed, no one comes into my office. No dings tell me that I've got mail. The phone doesn't ring. I love going to bed. I will tell you that I have I get more done with the Lord in bed than I do when I'm out of bed. Because I get distracted too easily. Do you tell your children that? I want my children to know that before they drift off to sleep, they should tell the God of heaven that they love Him. Because the most important being in their life is the God of heaven, their Creator and their Savior. This is what we need to emphasize to our children. You can get your hands around that. Jonathan had better grow up knowing the God of his father. And I don't mean his grandfather, and I don't mean his great-grandfather. I mean the God of his father. That you talk about God. And when your face lights up the most, it's about the God of heaven. When you show the most zeal and energy, it's about the God of heaven. That's what we need to do with our children. When you're handed that little baby from God, and it is a gift from heaven, it's His reward, and it's His heritage. It better be the God of His Father. Teach Him to love the Lord His God with all His heart, mind, soul, and strength. Child, the most important thing in your life is that you love God. We worship the true and the living God. Our God isn't anything like Muhammad or Allah. It doesn't matter what the President of the United States says. What does the Bible say? And it says that Jehovah is the only Lord God. And that little child that you're about to have handed to you, you teach him that. And I'm not doing this to teach my children. I'm doing this to teach the whole church. I hope that even you, if you're 49 years old like I am, you look at this passage and you ask yourself, have I been taught well enough and am I obeying well enough that I'm loving the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? This applies to every single one of us. But let, let's let the Bible tell us what we teach our children. I could run a hundred points. I think I could run a thousand with enough time. We could take two years on child training, but it wouldn't give you as much as what we can give you in a week or two just thinking about some of the basics of the Bible. The Lord said this wraps it all up, along with the second one, to love God and to love your neighbor. 
Is he going to know the God of his father? Is she going to know the God of his mother, her mother? That's the first thing we want to teach our children. The Lord our God is one Lord. And it's Jehovah of the, and of the Old Testament and Jesus Christ of the New who are one and the same. Amen. And they are the only God to be worshipped. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Every parent, every parent, you need to be asking yourself, what are the priorities that I have set in my home for my children? We must make sure that the first priority is the love of God above everything else. So what if they are successful in any physical, academic, or financial endeavor? So what if they don't love God? We have failed. I don't care if they're all three of those things. They're incredibly successful academically, athletically, and financially. They're failures if they don't love God. You're a failure, parent, if you don't love God. And your children are failures if they don't love God. This is the first thing we need to teach them. And it's the first thing we should be asking ourselves right now. Do I love God more than anything else? And the way you can answer that is, what will you give up for the God of heaven? Will you give up things that you like in order to please Him because you know He is displeased with those things that you like? That's how you measure love. What will you give up for another person? Ecclesiastes chapter 12. The wise preacher, in addressing the the children of Israel and his son and all young men, after observing all that life has to offer, came to this conclusion in the last two verses. Are you familiar with these words? Have you heard them before? Ecclesiastes 12.13 Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. The whole matter of life is wrapped up right here. Fear God. Fear God. And keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Thank the God of heaven for making it simple for me. I don't like complicated things. I like simplicity. And Solomon here boils all of life down. He tried wisdom. That's academia. He tried everything else. He tried a thousand women. None of it satisfied. None of it was his purpose. It's not what God had planned for him. The fear of God is the most important thing. And keeping God's commandments, it's the whole duty of man. Duty. You know, some parents send their children to the Boy Scouts to learn duty. Some send them to the larger Boy Scouts called the military to learn duty. The only duty that matters is the duty found in this book. Every pagan nation in the history of the world has had plenty of soldiers that went out and got killed early. Doesn't mean a thing. What matters is what does God say? And the duty of pleasing God. That's true duty, and it's the whole duty of man. There is nothing in there about how far you get in your business life. There's nothing here about how big your estate grows. It's all about fearing God and keeping His commandments. This is what we must teach our children. Every time they do something wrong, whether it's with a sibling, against you, against the teacher, being lazy, not keeping their room, everything must be brought back to fear God and keep His commandments. You say, what does cleaning your room have to do with it? Have you ever told them to clean their room? Well, you're a parent that God assigned and put in position over them, and therefore by not obeying their parents, they're not obeying the God of the Bible and keeping His commandments 
Ecclesiastes 12.13, when I read it, says, children ought to keep their rooms clean. And that's what we need to teach them. That it's not just, I, oh, Johnny, aren't you gonna, I want you to clean your room. Please clean your room. I didn't raise you to live in a pig pen. That's how mothers talk sometimes. It's ineffective. It's ineffective. You know what's effective? If they're children in this church, it's this. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Your Father and I have asked you to clean your room. God says that you're to obey your parents in the Lord, and this is right. He's told you to honor your father and your mother if you want to live a long life and have a good life. Now get in there and clean that room. This is the will of God for your life. And the wisest man that ever lived said, it's the whole duty for you at this moment. Now go do it right here. We fail when we leave the most powerful leverage we've got. And this is the leverage we've got if we're teaching the love of God and the fear of God. Bring it all. I can't give you a hundred of those. Bring everything back to the Bible. I don't want my children doing anything just because Dad said so. Because Dad's going to die. They're going to get married and move away from Dad. They're not going to see him very often. I hope they'll remember this. That there's something far weightier than Dad. There's something far weightier than Mom. It's the Word of God because they love Him and they fear Him and they know that their whole duty is to fear God and keep His commandments. Right there. Parents, don't whine. Don't make an emotional appeal. Don't tell them that you're ashamed because when you have people over, the room looks so terrible. You know, there's a hundred different things we come up with. It's the devil that gives us all those ideas and makes our minds so creative. And our flesh and the world uses all those different appeals to a child. But we want to appeal to God. Fear God and keep His commandments, children. This is the whole duty of man. And I've given you a job to do, and that's your room. Therefore, God's given you that to do. Fear God. Keep His commandment. Get your room cleaned up. Because I've got one more verse to read to you, children. It's Ecclesiastes 12, 14. We all love 13, because we can take it or leave it. But once you read 14, you can't leave it. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil. If you don't clean your room, you're going to give an account for it before the God of heaven. That is, let me tell you something. That is teaching the fear of God. You take some little child, God gives you these little children. Yes, they have depraved hearts, but they have empty heads. And you can fill those empty heads with the Word of God. And you can, you can tell them that if they don't clean their room, they're going to stand before God and they're going to give an account for not cleaning their room. And you are not doing anything wrong at all. You are telling them the pure gospel truth because they will give an account for not cleaning their room if their parents told them to clean it. Everything back to the Word of God. The love of God and the fear of God. Driving our children and us constantly pounding that into them. Gently, of course. Gently teaching them. Thoroughly teaching them. What did it say over there in Deuteronomy 6? It used some other kind of word about teaching them. Diligently. Diligently. Putting forth a lot of effort to make sure we bring everything back to the Bible and that God is all that matters. Everything they do. When they go out to the job. You know, when this brother was commended by Home Depot 
and made the associate of the month. That is a living testimony. Every one of our children should be told to have that kind of a testimony. When we ran restaurants, I tried to tell them, you know, every sandwich they made, what would you, how would you make it if the Lord was going to eat it? You know, at times I would lower the standard and say, what if the president came in here in his motorcade, how would you make it? But I hope that the fear and love of God would, would cause them to make a better sandwich if it was the Lord out there. And he was going to take it apart one inch at a time while holding it up at eye level with his mouth. You know, just the making of a sandwich was a daily lesson. You make that thing perfectly. Quit trying to cheat and cut corners to get it done faster. Make it right. A sandwich was a great lesson. Do you know what every customer did to every sandwich? They would take it like this and put it right up at eye level and pull it apart one inch at a time with their teeth making sure that all those ingredients were all the way through that thing. You know, because when you get a little fast, you know, sons committed and convicted about speed. There would be enough mustard on one side to cause your sinuses to water instantly, your eyes to water, and you to cough and sneeze in the restaurant, and no mustard on the other side of the sandwich. Now, that alters the flavor composition of a sandwich quite a bit. But if you had followed the rules which was four one-quarter of an inch rings of mustard on that sandwich, and that was the rule. Yeah, I got more than... I got big sons in here, too. If you did it right, every single bite that you took had mustard. If you cut the right size of tomato and you cut it the right way and you put it on that sandwich the right way, every time you looked at that sandwich, it was a beautiful layer of meat, green lettuce, red tomato, yellow mustard, beautiful bread, yellow cheese, white cheese, a Schlotzky sandwich, because there it was, you had done your job right. But how do you make that important, and how do you stress that to a child, and how do you teach them to make that sandwich right? To be rich? To be successful? To have the the highest producing restaurant? To have the fastest kitchen? As unto the Lord. Everything in the Bible is taken back as unto the Lord. If you start with a child, then when a woman reads... Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. What does it say? As unto the Lord. Do you know what? They've done that all their lives. Everything they've done is as unto the Lord. When you make your bed, is it as unto the Lord? Or is it as unto Dad who sometimes wanders up the stairs and checks out my room? There's a huge difference. It's as unto the Lord. Who am I? Just an ambassador of the Lord. It's the same with every parent in here. The number one thing we need to teach our children is fear of God, love of God. Fear of God, love of God. What do you do when a storm comes? Now, I haven't been very successful with some of my children when it comes to storms. Maybe it's because when they were babies, I held them up to a window to look at the lightning. Because, see, I like that. I don't like paying for a fireworks show when the Lord sends me a free one and it's louder. Oh, we had some good ones recently. I even got our little sister from California now. See, she ain't used to thunder. She's used to earthquakes, and we ain't used to earthquakes. She's used to standing in her house and trying to keep her balance while the light fixtures are shaking because of earthquakes. But she hasn't had South Carolina thunder. She said, it just kept rolling and rolling and rolling. Oh, wasn't it sweet? And she, You know what she said? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. That's the Lord talking to us. Everything's about the Lord. I love, I love thunder. 
He is so peaceful when it's thundering. You say, how can you call thunder peaceful? Because let me tell you, if he ever opened his mouth in anger, the entire universe would be disintegrated. That's my God talking to me. You see, but people get hit by lightning every now and then. So what? Most of them live. Most of them live. He's never missed the mark with a single bolt in his entire life. And if it's time for him to hit me with his dart show, then go ahead and hit me. Usually in a thunderstorm, I'm so close to him, I'm, want, I'm, I'm wishing for the big one. But it's all going back to the Lord, and I'm nothing. I'm nothing. This is the Word of God. Teach them diligently to your children. The whole duty of man is to fear God and to keep His commandments. Is that the foundational thing we're just putting into our children? When they go off to school, you want to do the very best you can because God's watching you. It's not just to get a good grade. The Lord wants you to do your best. The Lord's given you this opportunity. The Lord's provided the means for you to go to school. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Love the Lord thy God. Everything good that happens in a Christian family, we get down on our knees and thank God. Everything we're afraid of, we get down on our knees and beg God for help. Everything. That's why I hate Hollywood. I don't hate Hollywood for their drunkenness, their filthy language, and their nudity. I hate how... Of course I do. I'm trying to make a point. I hate Hollywood for their faithless television programming. When they're in trouble, they never pray. When something good happens, they never thank God. That, to me, is far more destructive because it's subtle. It steals a faith-based soul. Everything. Oh, to read the newspaper about Kobe Bryant a couple years ago. To read the newspaper about the lacrosse players in Duke. You know, there's a Bible answer for all those things. There's a Bible answer. And take everything back to the Lord and to heaven. Teach your little guys that God is everything. Who made that? God did. Then it comes Christmas time. And there's little children in your car and you're driving down the road and there's these houses all lit up with colored lights. What do you think of that, children? God, God, God. No, no, no. I remember that very well. Any of you remember that? God, God, God. Meaning God, God, God said no, no, no. You know, I'm sweating with pleasure just telling you about it. Everything was back to the Lord. What are those goofy people putting all those colored lights outside in their house for? God said it was wrong. Everything taken back to the Lord. Now, you need to teach them a little bit of discretion, but that comes in point number two, so that when you're in the line at the grocery store and the clerk says to them, Merry Christmas, children. What do you have for you under the Christmas tree? That they can keep their comments to a couple of sentences. But we want to teach them the fear of the Lord and the love of God. Amen. Just God is everything. So that for their whole life, when trouble comes, to their knees. When blessings come, when rain comes. The other day when we got that rain, how many of you blessed the God of heaven? Can I just see a couple? Well, a couple, thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. That was God watering the earth. And I, I, I mentioned it in the paragraph there had been some news articles in this very past week that there are large sections of the earth in a shortage of water, and there was the Lord just drowning Greenville County. 
Now, I felt bad for the guys who were kept out of work for a day or two, but you know, even God plans that to give you a forced day off because He knows you won't do it yourself. Since you're not merciful enough to do good to yourself, He'll do good to you anyway. That's what the Lord will do. But having that rain come pouring down and just thinking about... Remember Jeff, the last time he got up at a family night supper and wanted to tell us about how many oceans had fallen on Greenville County in a heavy rainstorm? Remember how he described the amount of water that the Lord is able to say... It's incredible. When you take the whole of Greenville County and add up two inches of water, it is an amount of water you can't, you, can, you can't even grasp it. And there was the Lord just dumping it on us. And it was so, the sound is so pleasant. And the benefit is so good. But all of that is to say this. What happens inside you, we want to teach it to happen inside our children. God sent the rain. Thank you, God, for the rain. Lord, we trust You that even the men who can't work today, who ordinarily would work, You've got something good in store for them. Every single aspect is good from God. He's never done wrong His whole life. And He's lived a long time. And I say that with all reverence and respect for the God of heaven who is eternal. And He's perfect in all His ways. Diligently teach thy children. The Lord our God is one Lord. And it's Jehovah, Jesus Christ our Savior. He commands the rain and He sends it to water the earth and to feed our souls. I mean, I just I was in Psalm 104 by instinct, by the grace of God. No, not my natural instinct, spiritual instinct. Psalm 104 that He sends rain to water the earth to bring forth grass and food for the feeders, for the animals and for us. We get everything from water hitting that earth. God, is, God brings forth our food from mud. And you can't make mud without water. Mud and sunshine. Is that fantastic? You put one kernel of corn in the ground, get a seven-foot stalk, that's short corn, seven-foot... I know, brother, thank you for the education you gave me. And you have a whole kernel with 800 more kernels on it. A whole whole ear of corn with 800 more kernels because of mud and sunshine. Do you talk that way with your children? I'm up here stripping myself naked in front of my family. But I do talk that way. And they all know that I'm not a perfect father. I'm so far from it, but I don't care. I'm still going to preach you the truth. I know what the Bible says. And it says to diligently teach your children these things and the whole duty of man and the conclusion of the whole matter. I love words like whole and whole. It's in that verse twice. It's to fear God and to keep His commandments. Teach your children that God is everything. God's the reason we live here in Greenville. Matthew Jones should be telling his little tribe. Look at him over there. Look at that tribe he started. He's got a verse in Revelation about him. And I hope it's all of his tribe instead of out of it. Because he started a tribe. But he lives in Greenville for a reason. He came here pursuing the true worship of God. So did his wife. Do they know that? Everything brought back to God. What am I doing in South Carolina? I'm a Yankee. I'm proud of it. One or two hours a year. What am I doing in South Carolina? You know, it's, it's the Lord's led us. Is everything brought back to the Lord? This is what I mean. Every, everything. Don't just say, God is great, God is good. Let us thank Him for our food with your eyes open and the saliva running down your chin because you want to dive into the food. Thank the God of heaven. Tell your children, look at these different flavors. Look at the colors. Look at the colors God gives us in our food. 
What if it was all cream? Thank you. It's beautiful. Cheddar cheese is pretty yellow, isn't it? Now, maybe food coloring as much as I know about farming, but I don't care. It still looks pretty. Um, you know, all the different food, God, food that God gives us. I love the difference between Cabernet and white Zinfandel in a glass with a candle behind it. Now I'm getting a little romantic. But you know, guess what my wife's got to listen to when there's a candle behind a glass of white Zinfandel and I'm at a table? It ain't about us. It's about Him. I said, who in the universe could create such a gorgeous shade of blush? The God of heaven. And where did it come from? Mud. Mud and sunshine in California to give us a white Zinfandel grape that is crushed and turned into wine that makes Mary the heart of man and looks so beautiful before it can get down the gullet. Is it? It's all of the Lord. Amen. Every aspect of it. And the Bible wants us to delight in all those things. Look at Proverbs chapter 1. I hope I've given you a sense of what we can do with just the love of God, the fear of God. Let's get, some, let's get some lessons about child training that we can get our hands around on the way home. Because it says, while you're walking in the way, we don't walk anymore, we ride. You've got a captive audience. The doors are locked, click. <laughs> They're locked now, children. The windows are locked, click. Daddy's in control. And I may take the long way home but I've got a little sermon I want to preach to you. And so you talk about people that you've met and how they ought to be treated. But that's rule number two. You talk about God and the blessings He's given us. As you're peeling down those beautiful asphalt ribbons that, that lay all over this countryside and the concrete when they didn't use asphalt, every one of you say, you look at that thing, God has blessed our nation so abundantly. We can just go anywhere we want. We can travel at high rates of speed and, and look at the comfort we have around us. I've said a thousand times, children, who made the steering wheel? Man did. Where'd the plastic come from or the wood come from that man took and, and molded into a steering wheel? God did. Where'd the toilet paper come from, children? A tree. Who made the toilet paper? Man did. Who made the tree? God did. That little pencil you're holding in your hand, where did it come from? came from a tree. Who made the pencil? Man did. Who made the tree that made the pencil? God did. Child training. Everything is the Lord God of heaven. Everything. Bring everything back to Him. The whole duty of man. The conclusion of the whole matter. I'm not, listen, my brain, my IQ can't even be measured compared to Solomon's. Do you know what Solomon said? He tried it all. He tried, when Solomon applied himself to learn something, can you imagine the horsepower that went to work? Listen, I, mine's like a mouse on a treadmill. Solomon had workhorses. When he said, I want to learn something today, I don't even want to, f-. do you know what Solomon could learn in a day? I want to tell you what the Bible tells me about Solomon. It says in 1 Kings chapter 4, as soon as he was made king, all the kings of the earth would come to sit and listen to him talk about trees. Trees. 
And he wasn't talking about cutting them down and hauling them away. He could talk about trees because God gave him so much wisdom. He learned everything there was to learn. He tried foolishness. He tried wisdom. And he said the conclusion of the whole matter is to fear God and to keep His commandments. So there is nothing your children are going to learn in school that is more important than God is the all of all. And the Lord Jesus Christ is God. Proverbs chapter 1. Look at this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And you know that's not the only time that's in the Bible. You can't even get started having smart children unless you teach them the fear of the Lord. You can teach them all the ABCs and 123s that you want, but they still don't have an ounce of wisdom because that isn't wisdom. That is never wisdom by any definition at any time in your life. No matter how you're using it, it's not wisdom. Wisdom is the fear of God. Wisdom is the fear of God. Having a reverent respect and love and desire and knowledge of the Most High God and wanting to please Him with your whole life so that it alters the way you live. That is wisdom. That you then want to hear every word that comes from His lips. That the words of His lips are esteemed more important to you than your necessary food. That is wisdom. That's what you want to teach your children. And that's what we all want to have. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You can't start to know anything important unless you have the fear of the Lord. You can teach your children facts that are taught in school, but every pagan knows those facts, and that doesn't make those facts unimportant for their proper place in a life. But what's more important is the fear of God. Right, 9.10 Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10. I'll tell you, there's a chapter in Job about the fear of the Lord and wisdom. It is, it's Job 28. Let me go back and make sure because I'm telling you something. If you want some pleasure reading for this afternoon, yes, I don't have time. Job 28. You want some pleasure reading? Go read Job 28 as they debate where wisdom comes from. They talk about all the prices that could be paid. They talk about all the places you could go to try to find it. And they come to the conclusion that we have already here in a simpler form in Proverbs chapter 9. But Job 28, because here is wisdom. Proverbs 9 and verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Do you really want your children to be wise and understanding? Then teach them the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of the holy. What's the knowledge of the holy? Who he is, what his name is, how he operates, what he's done, what has he done in the past, what's he going to do in the future, all of that's in the Bible. That's the knowledge of the holy. That's the knowledge of God, the holy being of the universe. This is child training. Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. You're familiar with these verses. Most of you are. Think about them in light of child training. 
Verses 23 and 24. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. What is the excitement in your house created by? Athletic accomplishments, academic accomplishments, financial accomplishments, emotional events? Or is the greatest excitement reserved for knowing about God and glorying in Him? Where is the most excitement? What do your children believe gets you the most excited? David said, delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. You know quite a few of these verses, don't you? Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Delight. The Lord delights in things. You know, the whole world is glorying. Parents take their children. You know, soccer moms. I didn't say there was anything wrong with soccer. You just soccer mom. No, I didn't say that either. We're following a soccer mom. She goes off and takes the child to soccer. Oh, Johnny, you did so good. Oh, that terrible little scab there on your knee. Let's put a Band-Aid on it. Let Mommy kiss it and make it better. You know, I'm not saying any of that is wrong. But do you know what our whole society is addicted to? That's where the children get their praise, and that's where the parents put their extra time is taking all their children to soccer and other endeavors like that. And there is a place for those kind of things for a young person. However, the most important thing is right here. The fear of the Lord. The knowledge of the holy. Delighting in these things. Because notice, the delight here is not in riches or business success. It's not in strength or athletic or physical prowess. And it's not in wisdom or educational attainments. It's in who is God and what does He delight in And he delights in loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. Have you taught your children that God's loving kindness is so good? From the roads that we drive on by blessing this nation to the milk that we drink. Have you ever told your children how much God can get out of a cow? You know, in our society, all you do is blow down the road and you see those animals over there and they have... What is that thing? Oh yes, it's a cow. I saw it in a book. You know, we don't know anything about animals anymore. But do you know what God can get out of that cow for our benefit? And he gave, us, he gave us the knowledge to be able to get those things. You're wearing so much cow right now in multiple places. Some of it's inside your skin. Because you've had too much chocolate milk and too much cheese and too much steak. We, we use it in so many different ways. Do you thank the Lord for all those things? Do you delight in Him? Because that's His loving kindness. The taste of food. The wonder of ice. You can go down the list. Is ice cream pretty neat? Cold and creamy? Tell me how much ice cream Solomon had. Brother Jeff loves to remind me of this. How much ice cream did Solomon have? Very little. Unless they got a ship across the Mediterranean Sea with a big block of ice from the Alps in sawdust. We are so blessed. How many flavors? 
150? 75? There's so many flavors. All of it. But you know, where did that come from? It came from the God of heaven that put an animal out in the field. Every one of my children have heard this. God gave a cow two stomachs to give you ice cream. Because if it only had one, you wouldn't want to eat the ice cream. Do you know that about cows? See, we don't know anything about Believe me, I don't either. Don't ask me any questions after this sermon about cows because I'm running the limit of my knowledge right now. You know, what do they chew all night long? You know, they cough up what they ate during the day. Do you know this? They love baseballs. They cough up baseballs of grass and chew them all over again. I've never noticed any green tint to the milk I drink. How about you? They do a pretty thorough job of it, don't they? Where does all that come from? I am not here to preach about cows. I am here to preach about the loving kindness of the God of heaven. And everything in your life, whether it's pouring a glass of milk, can be taken back to the God of heaven because He delights in the loving kindness He shows in the earth. And He shows loving kindness. It was that rain. He says, I show my kindness in rain to the evil and the good. I show my kindness in the sunshine to the just and the unjust. When you step outside on a beautiful sunny day and that sun hits your face and hits your body and you can feel that radiant heat, what is it to you? Is it the hug and kiss and embrace of the God of heaven? That's what it should be. And your children should be taught that. If your children truly love and fear God, then you're going to want to teach them every word God said. Because this is the book He wrote. God wrote this book. And it's not that big. It's not that big. And you can go through this book and show them these are the words of God. This is what God's telling you so that you can avoid a whole lot of trouble in life. This is what God's telling you so that you can please Him. This is what God's telling you of what He has done for you. Do you want to, you want to really get good? This is what God's telling you that He's going to do for you. Because the Bible says, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love Him. That is 1 Corinthians 2.9. And you know what? That's a pretty wonderful verse. And so you teach your children... Everything is taken back to the Bible. If we love God, children, then we want to know what God would do. So let's open our Bibles and find out what God would do in this situation. God wants us to give thanks. He's done something good for us. Let's thank God. You have to go to a funeral, children? You have to go to a funeral? Funerals are good things, children. Let me show you in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 where the Lord said that it's better for you to go to a funeral than to a party. And then explain that to your children. All of it's wrapped up in one thing. Teach your children the love and fear of God. Everything comes back to the Bible. When they come home from school, they've heard anything or they've seen a bumper sticker with a monkey eating a fish or whatever they've got on bumper stickers nowadays, you take them to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created. Aren't those precious words, children? In the beginning, God. There wasn't anything else in the beginning but God. All this is because God said that it should be. You know what you've just done? If you've taught your children that, you've taught them most of the Bible. If you're taking everything back to the Bible and you're taking everything back to God, you have just taught them the vast majority of what they need to learn. The second commandment will be to love others as much as they love themselves. And the third one will be 
to rule their spirit and to be temperate in life by disciplining themselves like athletes do to achieve a corruptible crown. Those are the three things I want to give you. I've given you one today. I hope that I've made it so simple and so practical that you can take it home and do it, that I can take it home and continue to do it, that we can do it in our own hearts while we're talking to ourselves. Do you thank the Lord? Listen, when you crawl into a clean bed and you feel those sheets on your skin, what do you say? Thank you, Lord, for something so good. I was really enjoying being awake all day today. But you know what? It feels pretty good to be right here right now. Thank you for this feel on my skin. It's by your grace and blessing. And there's more things than that to enjoy in bed, but I was talking about the sheets right then. Because that's from the Lord. Everything. We're going we're gonna to go out of here and we're going to separate. We're going to eat. We're going to sleep. We're going to work. We're going to go to school. Do you understand the privilege of where you're going to school? Do you know how many few in the history of this world have had an opportunity to do that? God's given your Father the means to do that. You should thank Him and you should thank your Heavenly Father. I'm saying that to everyone in here. This is what we teach our children. That, that, that the Lord, the Lord God of Heaven, is the end, the reason, the means, the source of everything that we do in life. One commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, and with all thy soul. And these words, teach them diligently to thy children. May the Lord bless us to have a, a church that is pleasing in his sight, not only in this generation, but in the next one, and in the next one if Jesus Christ doesn't come. And if he does come, that he's going to have one church that admires him when he bursts forth on this scene. Because we're looking for him in the glorious splendor that the Bible describes him in. May the Lord Jesus Christ be praised. Please stand with me. Heavenly Father, Thou knowest my heart that I love Thee and thank Thee and bless Thee and fear Thee for all the great and terrible things that Thou hast done in the earth and shall yet do and for all the loving kindness that Thou hast done and shall yet show. We thank Thee most of all for the Lord Jesus Christ sent to deliver Gentile heathen from their sins and to secure for us reservations in Abraham's bosom, heaven, eternal glory, by the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Heavenly Father, take the meager effort and multiply it as seed sown in the hearts of these people and in my own heart, that we shall be better parents, fathers and mothers, teaching our children the love of God and the fear of the Lord. This is the whole duty of man, and it's the conclusion of life, the whole conclusion of life. Help us to do it. Cause us to remember the things that we've considered this day. Let us not go through a day without bringing up 
numerous examples of your place in this universe as its governor and sovereign Lord and of how everything should be brought back to thy precious word. Lord, we can't do this without your blessing. Convict us, remind us, and grant us fruit as we make this effort. We pray in Jesus' name and for his honor and glory through us and our children and the generation to come. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Saved. Could it be any simpler than that? You show me a person that hears the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ, and instead of being bored, instead of being offended, they love what they hear, and they believe it. They believe it just like Abraham believed it when he stood outside and saw all the stars. They believe it. And then they get baptized. You show me a person that is willing to become a fool for Jesus' sake. Willing to be stuffed underwater, dunked underwater, buried underwater, dipped underwater, like Baptists have for 2,000 years since John the Baptist. You show me someone that loves the Lord Jesus Christ and is willing to be buried underwater in public and raised up again out of that water, and I'll show you someone that's going to stand before Jesus Christ and be accepted. That's what that verse means. Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Oh, the church of Christ loves it, but they don't understand it. And Baptists hate it because they don't understand it. We understand that verse. Those two things are the evidences of someone that God has saved. They are the evidences of a child of Abraham. Do you know before we can get out of Galatians chapter 3, we are going to know that it is by faith and baptism that you align yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and are the children of Abraham. Do you know why he said he that believeth and is baptized? Because belief is too easy. Do something about it. Get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the coming King of Heaven. And you'll wish you'd been baptized in His name when you see Him. And I love, I love the King. I get to represent. And I'm thankful He's my Savior. I'm thankful He's your Savior. If you believe on Him this day and have works to prove your faith. This is what 3.6 is saying to the Galatians. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, you Galatians have believed God and the truth that I made evident among you. That's verse 1 of chapter 3. He was evidently set forth before you. I made it very plain. You're just like Abraham. Let's lay hold of God's promises to us. God promised Abraham a seed. God promised us eternal life. Before the world began. He didn't offer eternal life after the world began. He promised eternal life before it began. And we lay hold of it by faith, by believing that promise. It shows us that we're one of God's elect. No one else would ever believe the gospel. They think it's foolishness. They run from it. It's boring. They sleep during church. It's proof of the character of their hearts. Even as Abraham believed God that was accounted to him for righteousness, it showed him to be a righteous man. God saw the faith and said, that man is righteous, and declared it so for everyone following Abraham in the whole Bible to know that when a man believes the promises of God, it shows that he's a righteous man. And so these Galatians didn't have to worry about adding anything else. They had been declared and shown to be righteous by their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because guess what? 
When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the Word of the Lord. These Galatians were glad when they heard Jesus Christ preached and they left the synagogues. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And so Paul here is telling them, you are righteous and are standing accepted before God on the same grounds as Abraham. He believed God, showing his righteousness, and you have believed God, showing your righteousness. So we have the little adverbial phrase, even as, in the exact same way. Thank you, Lord. How free can it get? How free can it get? You know why it's so free? Because a price was paid that you can't even measure. God sending His only Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Praise His holy name. Verse 7. Know ye therefore. Know. This is something you can know. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. You show me a man living by faith, I'll show you a man that's a child of Abraham. This is not some decision of faith. This says they that are of faith. A life of faith. Because we had read in your hearing this morning, James 2, that faith without works is dead. It's as meaningless as telling someone who's starving, go home and be full. Bye-bye. What do you think of that? Someone who's starving is at your door and you say, go home and be filled, bye-bye, and close the door on them. What do you think of that? That's what the Lord thinks of Arminian salvation. Thou believest that there is one God? Good job. The devils also believe and tremble. Because faith without works is dead as much as telling a starving person at your door to be full without giving them any food. That's what James 2 was teaching us. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. What comfort, brethren! This is something you can know this morning. I am teaching truth to you that you can know. That if you are living the life of faith, I believe God. And I'm obeying God then you're the children of Abraham. Now, brethren, Paul plays with words. And I hope you love when he plays with words because when he plays with words, he's playing with them by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He uses a word in verse 7. Is it singular or plural? I'm not even going to tell you what word. What one do you think that I'm looking at? Galatians 3, 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith The same are the children of Abraham. Does Paul know the difference between the singular and the plural? Is he going to make an argument in a few verses about the difference between the singular and the plural? What's he using here? The plural. And he's going to go back and forth throughout this chapter. Because it is a plural seed. Do you know how many? It's a multitude that no man can number. Do you know what it looks like? It looks like the stars of heaven for multitude. But do you know what? It's all wrapped up in one seed. The Lord Jesus Christ. It's not in anyone else. It's not in Moses. It's not in the high priest of Israel. It's only in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's all the elect of God. 
And so here he uses the plural. Know ye therefore. Therefore. What's the therefore therefore? What am I supposed to know and on what basis? Because Abraham was declared to be righteous by his faith. You have been declared to be righteous by your faith. Know ye therefore that because of your faith, your decision to leave the synagogue of the Jews, the temples of the false gods, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you are the children of Abraham. You are just like Abraham. And what's heaven called, brethren? I know I'm being simple. What's heaven called? Abraham's bosom. That's where you're going, Galatians. And on what basis are you going there? Because you've shown the same character that Abraham showed. When you heard the truth of God, you believed it. That is not what got your name in the book of life, nor what got you regenerated. You believe because you heard the truth of God, the Lord opens your heart, but you had already been born again. Your name had already been written in heaven. You're the children of Abraham. You're going to be in heaven with Abraham. You Galatians. And on what basis? The same basis that Abraham's there. He believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Thank you, Lord of heaven. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Is that how they become children? Or does it show them to be children? It's B. It shows that, it shows them that they are the children of God. For instance, in Matthew chapter 5, in the last few verses it says, that if you love your enemies, ye, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. This is how we rightly divide the word of truth. When you love your enemies, it shows you that you are the children of your Father in heaven because you're showing His character. When you love your enemies, that's not how you get your name in the book of life and become a child of God and get saved and go to heaven when you die. You know, if Arminians would ever use all the other verses in the Bible that look conditional, like they use some of the faith verses, they would end up with us having to keep every single thing written in both Testaments. Yes, they would. We would have to keep every single thing written in both both Testaments to become a child of God and stand accepted before God. Because they don't rightly divide the word of truth. Abraham believed God and it was an evidence of his righteousness and God counted that faith as an act of a righteous man and declared Abraham to be righteous because of that act that only a righteous man could perform. How can a man stand before God? We're all racing to an appointment to stand before the God of heaven. He drowned this earth once and it didn't matter what those people were calling on the outside of the ark. It was the only ones, on, it was only the ones on the inside of the ark that were saved. And are you in the ark when the next flood comes? And the next flood isn't going to be water, it's going to be fire and God's going to burn this earth up. Are you in the ark? And the ark is Christ Jesus. You say, I don't know if I'm in the ark or not. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That shows you're in the ark. And bring forth fruits that back up that faith as being a real and living faith. Oh, you Galatians, don't let those false teachers come in there and tell you that you've got to add stuff to Jesus Christ. You stand in the same place as Abraham did. Believing the promises. It's not, a, it's not a seed as many as the stars of heaven. That was Abraham's promise and he believed it. It's that Jesus Christ is the appointed substitute for his people. And those people are the elect that God gave him before the world began. And believing that record of the Son of God out of Nazareth, that's proof. 
that you're the children of Abraham. Verse 8. So, you know, we could stay on verse 7 and milk every word of that thing. But we can't. we got to go forward. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. I love how Paul personifies the Bible. The Scripture, foreseeing, preaching, and saying. Did you know, does your Bible talk? Does your Bible foresee? Does your Bible preach? Well, it does because God put, th- it does in this way that God declared things in there where God was preaching and doing some saying. And the Bible records it. And when God said to Abraham, in thee shall all nations be blessed, that was a preaching of the gospel. And it was this aspect of the gospel. Jesus Christ is going to save his elect out of every nation. And you better, you better hear those words. And you better love those words. Cause we're from different nations, folks. We're from different kindreds. We're from different tribes. And we're from different tongues in the ancient past. But that was the gospel being preached. In Genesis 12 and verse 3, the gospel was preached. And it was a spiritual message. Genesis 12, 3. All nations of the earth shall be blessed in thee and thy seed. Whoso blesseth thee shall be blessed, and I will curse him that curseth thee. That's Genesis 12, 3. Altered a little bit for my memory. That verse is so corrupted today. They believe that that verse means as long as we send enough F-15s and, and K-ration meals left over from World War II to the Israelite army, that God's going to bless our nation. That is what most Christians believe about Genesis 12:3 that God will bless us as a nation if we take care of that nation of people over there in the Middle East called Israelites. God doesn't consider them the children of Abraham, and neither do they when you read their writings. They know that they're not Semites. But that's another subject for another time. Jesus said Jerusalem will be trodden down of the Gentiles, so I want you to answer me on the authority of that verse what kind of people are in Jerusalem today? They're not Jews and they're not Semites. They're imposters. They know it. Jesus knew it. And the Bible condemns them. That city is being trodden down of Gentiles at this hour. That's Luke 21, and I believe verse 24. But forget that point. What we want right now is the fact that when Jesus said, when, when the Lord said, To Abraham, I will bless him that blesses you, curse him that curses you, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. That was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ with spiritual blessings based upon spiritual conditions. And we as a nation, and most churches have so corrupted it, they make it physical conditions for physical blessings. And they miss Christ. They look at the race instead of grace. They look at the race. God's chosen people are by grace. And they're out of every nation. They're not by race and only from one nation. What a travesty of misinterpretation of the Bible. It was the gospel that was preached. Not some political program for our defense department to get involved in. But you know, men like John Hagee, 
For those of you that watched him, you know that he's the greatest Jew lover in America. Jerry Falwell is right behind him. That fundamentalist section of the religious environment of America have moved our politicians to support Israel. Of course, there's a bunch of Jews funding them as well. The Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. Look at Paul give us an interpretation of a verse that they're not even close to. They look at Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3 and say, if we take care of those people in the Middle East that call themselves Jews, God will bless us as a nation. You know, we'll get more bushels of corn per acre out of Iowa because we're sending F-15s to Israel when Paul said it was, the blessing was, God would justify Gentiles. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen. There was a prophecy, a prophecy in Genesis 12, 3 that most people miss and the Jews missed. They made it all nationalistic. Jesus made it, Paul made it spiritual. That it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In thee shall all nations be blessed. That's the conversion of Gentiles by the grace of God and their justification by Jesus Christ alone that they would be saved with an everlasting salvation out of every nation by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, and they would lay hold of it by faith. And that God's covenant people would be raised up from every nation on earth. And they will stand in heaven, and they're already many of them are already there, singing the praises of their Lord and Savior. Verse 9, So then, he repeats himself from verse 7, to convince them and to convince you and me. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So then, my, concluding, my conclusion here from verses 6 and 8, I've concluded once in verse 7, now I'm concluding again in verse 9, is that you Galatians and anyone else that believes on Jesus Christ has received the blessing that Genesis 12.3 is talking about. Because you believe the promise of God and laid hold of Jesus Christ by faith. Believe on Him. He's the Son of God and He's coming to burn up this earth. Just as surely... As Noah worked 120 years building an ark when no one had seen rain before, a mist went up and watered the earth. For 120 years he worked on that ark because God had told him, and Hebrews 11 tells me that Noah being warned of things not seen as yet, built an ark to the saving of his house and showed the righteousness of faith by his obedience to God's promise of what he was going to do. You better lay hold of the Lord Jesus Christ and enter into that ark in your own conscience, soul, mind, and heart by believing on Jesus Christ because a flood is coming and it's not a flood of water and it's going to incinerate this earth. And it's the judgment of Almighty God against sinners. So then, verse 9, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. Paul now is going to remind these Galatians that if they really want to go under the law, like these teachers from Jerusalem are trying to teach them, then they need to think about what the law says. Because the law doesn't give you any hope. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, 
Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That's from Deuteronomy 27 and 26. Paul said, okay, if you're really getting enamored with the law of Moses, let's go back and read the law of Moses. And do you know what it says? It says if you don't continue in every single thing written in the book of the law, you're under the curse. He's already told them in 2.16, as he was rebuking Peter, he said, we Jews understand that no man can be justified by the law of Moses. He's just reminding them, if you fail in one little commandment, have you ever read the commandments of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? If you fail in one, then you're under the curse. God's curse. And that, this is part of public worship in Israel. Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed. The priests were to, howl, were to scream out, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And all the people were to say, Amen. 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 And that was the law. And these teachers were trying to put these Galatians back under it. Trying to put Gentile heathen like you and me back under the law of Moses. For as many as are of the works of the law. Now Paul is not putting these Galatians on their way to hell. It says, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. His point is, if you're going to go to the law, then you're cursed right now as far as your status in your understanding if you're faithful with the Word of God. Are you with me? In the distinction I'm making, Paul's not telling them that they're on their way to hell. He's telling them as far as your theology is concerned, that's where it leaves you. Let me show you. Chapter 5. Just flip over to chapter 5. Paul is not worried about the eternal life of any of the Galatians. He's worried about their understanding. And this is where we, we are so different. We cannot save a single soul from death in trespasses and sins to life in Christ. But we can certainly save God's elect from foolish and ignorant understanding of things to the truth of the gospel. And that was Paul's whole life. He said in 2 Timothy 2, 10 to Timothy, Therefore I endure all things that I might add to God's elect. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sakes. Galatians 5. Verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Does that mean if they get circumcised, they're going straight to hell? They had been saved, had been born again, were in the book of life, were elect, were justified, were accepted by God, were converted, were baptized by Paul, that if they were circumcised, they're going straight to hell? No, as far as their theology, you can't mix the two. If you add the least little thing to the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ and his death is of no value. You have entirely thrown it out of your theology. You cannot mix the two and frustrate God's grace. He will not allow the two to be mixed. Either you are saved by works or you are saved by grace. There is no mixing of the two. They are mutually exclusive terms. That's what he means. It's, it's, It's in their understanding. If you add anything to Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ is gone and you are left entirely at the mercy of the law, and guess what? There ain't no mercy in the law. Verse 3, this is, how he, this is how he says it. For I testify again. What does again mean? Because I gave you this in 3.10. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. 
If you're going to go back to the law of Moses, you are a debtor to do every single thing in it. That's what he taught in chapter 3, which is why I've jumped ahead to chapter 5, because he refers back to what he's teaching us in 3 with the word again. Verse 4, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. It says here that the Galatians were justified by the law. Can anyone be justified by the law? No. That is in their heads. For those, for you Galatians that have listened to those false teachers out of Jerusalem, thinking that you can stand accepted before God by the law of Moses, you've fallen from grace. You have left the true doctrine of grace. You have left the right understanding of grace. You think you're justified by the law, but look at you. I've already taught you in chapter 3, and I'm telling you here again, that if you're going to go back to the law, you've got to keep every single commandment of it or you're cursed. Back to chapter 3. That's what verse 10 is telling those Galatians. If you want to go back to the law, just remember that if you fail in one single point, it's over for you. It's curtains. You're cursed. Verse 11, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. He's telling these Galatians, I can use your own Bible. I can use your Old Testament and prove with evidence that no one is justified by the law because I have in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4 these words, the just shall live by faith. Paul, this is the Holy Spirit inspired argument. You people that think the Old Testament can get you into heaven? The Old Testament itself says that's not the way to heaven because it says in Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith. It doesn't say the just. Notice, the just shall live by faith. It doesn't say the just shall live by Moses' law, but the just shall live by faith. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. It's proven by the Old Testament. Why in the world would God say the just? Those that can stand before God. What's a just man? Someone that can stand before God and he's totally innocent. He's without spot and without blame before God. That man lives by faith, not by Moses' law. And your own Bible teaches you that in the Old Testament. He's telling these Galatians. Verse 12. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Do versus believe. The law and faith are totally opposites. When you believe God's promise and God's performance of what He's going to do, you take yourself totally out of the picture. God does it all. Works or the law is entirely based upon what you do. God's not doing anything different for anyone. You're earning your way to heaven. Faith and law are opposites. That's what, that's what this verse is teaching. Verse 12 of Galatians 3. The law is not of faith. These two don't come together and sort of work together. They don't work together at all. Do you know what kind of faith it takes to get justified in the sight of God? Do you know what kind of faith is the evidence that you're one of God's elect and justified in His sight? It's only one kind of faith. The minute that you start looking to your faith, I wish you could all hear me right now. This is, where, this is where we separate from the rest of the religious world. The minute you start looking to your faith as a condition or an instrument for you to be justified in the sight of God, you turn faith into a work of the law. Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, 
for ye pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the others undone. Faith is a work of the law, because faith is a commandment to believe on Him. And when you start looking at your faith as the condition or the instrument that justifies you before God, you make your faith your Savior instead of Jesus Christ your Savior. I thank God for a Baptist preacher in 1647 that wrote a document, a little book, called Justification by Christ Alone. It's on our website. I sent it to you last night. I was blessed sweetly yesterday by reading again. He taught the very same doctrine we teach in this church. The very same thing. That we are justified by Christ and not by our believing. And that we ought to look to Christ for our salvation and not to our believing. As soon as you take your faith and make it the vehicle that justifies you before God, you turn faith into a work of the law. Do you know what kind of faith is the true evidence of justification? Faith that believes God justifies the ungodly. Please look at Romans 4 with me. I know I'm I'm getting late, but Romans chapter 4, holding your finger at Galatians 3. Romans 4. The Arminian doctrine of salvation is by the works of the law. God makes no difference between men or among men. The difference is entirely based upon what you do. They'll, they'll say the words, God has done all that He can do. Now it's all up to you. Oh, Paul said, no, no, faith, no, it's not. It wasn't up to Abraham. It was up to God's promise. Look at Romans chapter 4. Let's get verse 4 and 5. Look at verse 3. It's the same. Do you know that Romans chapter 4 is the same as Galatians chapter 3? I mean, they're twin chapters in the Bible. That's why I've had you read them the last couple of Saturday nights. Look at verse 3. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That's the same as Galatians 3.6. It's from Genesis 15.6. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. If you're doing anything to work by some condition or some instrument of being justified, then God owes you salvation by debt. And trust me, He doesn't owe salvation to anyone. Verse 5, But, here's a different way of believing, and a different way of approaching salvation. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. His faith is counted for righteousness like Abraham's faith was counted for righteousness when we don't work in any way except to believe the promises of God that are in Jesus Christ, that those that believe on Jesus Christ show the character of a righteous man because only God's elect that are justified and have the righteousness of Christ would ever believe the Gospel. It's those that believe God justifies the ungodly. It is not faith that believes God justifies believers. God justifies the ungodly. As soon as you switch that over to God justifies believers, meaning your belief is the condition or the instrument to be justified, you've left the faith that is counted for righteousness. God wants you to cast yourself upon His promise and His mercy alone. 
by faith that doesn't work but believes that God justifies ungodly men. Praise the God of heaven. The law is not of faith. The two of them are opposites. The man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Verse 13 of chapter 3 of Galatians. Being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. The Lord Jesus Christ, when He died on the cross of Calvary, did two things. He suffered capital punishment by the law of God. You know, verse 10 had already told these Galatians that they were under the curse. Verse 13 tells them how they got out from under the curse. And it wasn't because of something they did. It was because of something someone else did for them. Christ became a curse for us on the cross of Calvary. When He died on the cross of Calvary, He died under the law of Moses, charged with the curse for all His people. Capital punishment. There were different ways you could die in Israel. You could be stoned to death and you could be hung on a tree. Jesus was hung on a tree and we're told about it in the Old Testament that that is a more severe way of killing a man where you suspend him in sight throughout the day and bury him only when darkness approaches. The Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Lord Jesus Christ first of all, died under the curse of our sins and then he died in an ignominious way by being hanged on a tree. So he was twice cursed under the law of Moses. Not only for our sins, but also in the way that he died, hanging on that tree. And that's the deliverance from the curse of the law. And Paul is telling these Galatians, you are condemned by the law that you're running back toward. The only deliverance you have is Jesus Christ. And if you'll go to your own law, he was condemned by your law, and he was condemned and cursed by the way that he died under your own law and what it says about hanging on a tree. Christ did everything in verse 13. So when we come to verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. How does the blessing come? God told Abraham in Genesis 12:3, In thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed. How does it come? Through Jesus Christ. What is the blessing? Justification. How does it come? By Jesus Christ. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. After that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Paul's returning to his arguments of verse 2 and verse 5 of this chapter by saying, Jesus Christ brought the blessing of Abraham upon us Gentiles, and when you believed, you were sealed and shown to be God's property, the purchased possession. You were shown to be God's property by the Holy Spirit that was given to you, which is a result of faith. That's when we lay hold of God and believe the Gospel, and God rewards that faith with an extra measure of His Holy Spirit who already regenerated us, but now fills our heart and testifies to us that we are indeed the sons of God. His purchased possession. It's the earnest of our inheritance. Abraham had an inheritance. It's called Abraham's bosom. We have that same inheritance and we've been given an earnest deposit of it. It's the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God is given to us when we believe the gospel and are baptized and obey it. You know that from the day of Pentecost. It's the same way today. It's just not visible today like it was for 40 years after the day of Pentecost. Verse 15. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. He's going to make a natural argument in verse 15. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. 
Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Brethren, just think. If one man promises another man something, and the two of them agree on the terms of it, no man can say that covenant doesn't stand, and no man can add anything else to it, because the two parties have already agreed to it. That's natural reasoning, and if we, we can reason from the natural to the spiritual, when God's made a promise and it's been confirmed by His oath, no one can disannul it, and no one can add anything to it. And what were the teachers out of Jerusalem trying to do? Add something to it. That's what verse 15 means. A natural argument. We've already got the promise of God and His covenant, and it's already set, signed, sealed, and delivered through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you know what David said? That everlasting covenant was all my salvation and all my desire. On his deathbed, 2 Samuel chapter 23. That's what David said. That's how simple verse 15 is. Verse 16, and with this I close. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Oh, what, remember, what kind of promises? If we go back and read Genesis 12 through 24, 12 through 24, 13 chapters dedicated to the life of Abraham. What promises? Land. Defeated enemies. A seed as multitudinous as the stars of heaven. An inheritance. Blessing on all Gentile nations. Are those physical? Are those spiritual? Look at what the, look what the Apostle Paul wants to teach us. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And you can go back, and it is, it is a pleasure to look up every verse between Genesis 12 and 24 and find where it says, To Abraham and his seed, to thee and to thy seed, will I do this, will I give this, will I do this, will I give that. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made, period. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Do you know what Paul says in that sentence? Whatever Bible you're holding in your hands, when you go back to Genesis 12 through 24, Every promise better be to Abraham and his seed. But do you know what happens when you go back to Genesis 12 through 24 with with a new King James Version that's plagiarized the King James Version and taken its name? What do you think it has back there? What, What do you think it has? Descendants. To Abraham and his descendants were the promises made. That is high heresy. How in the world can a board of editors sit down and sign off on a Bible... When they know what Galatians 3.16 is, this, this, this verse is not hid in the obscurity of the last ten chapters of Ezekiel. This is Galatians 3.16. How can they sign off on a Bible version that when you go back to Genesis 12-24, through 24, every promise was to Abraham and his descendants? When it says every promise better be to Abraham and his seed. Am I the only one that gets mad about such things? I hope you've got fire burning in your hearts. What's been the con job that's been done in America in the last 100 years with their Bible versions? Let's look back at that 16th verse. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed. And we'll leave the last few words off for a second. Paul said, the Old Testament... The Old Testament that is a true Old Testament, the Old Testament that God approves of, uses a singular noun for one 
Not a plural noun, as of many. And they take it, and I've got the Bibles in my pulpit this morning, but we don't have the time. You can look at them. I'll show you the verses. I've got them all in the outline. Every promise made to Abraham and his seed, they changed to Abraham and his descendants. When the New Testament tells us the Old Testament had better say seed. It better be singular. It can't be plural because it's not by race. It's by grace. It's in Christ. We want all the promises in Christ. And so Paul is telling Gentiles that all the promises were made in Jesus Christ. They weren't put into Isaac. Oh, and before we get out of this chapter, you're all the children of Abraham. He's already told us that in verse 7, but he's going to say it again. And before we get out of the book of Galatians, he's going to say that you're all the children of the free woman. You are Isaac compared to Ishmael. The Israelites of Paul's day were the Ishmaelite, were, were, uh, were, were from Esau rather than Jacob. And we're, we're, and we're going to read that before we get out of the book of Galatians. But right here, he wants you to know one thing. Every promise made to Abraham was made to Abraham and his seed. Singular. He didn't say seeds. He didn't say descendants. He didn't say anything plural. He said singular because it was all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. The land, the inheritance, the seed, the blessings, defeating the enemies, all of it wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. You, You want to look at something political? You want a political program to help your nation? I'll give you a political program to help your nation. You know what it's going to be? Allow the free preaching of Jesus Christ and defend all gospel preachers. Amen. America is great. America is great as a nation, not because they defended the Jews, but because they allowed free gospel preaching in this country from the beginning. It was tried sorely in New England. But we have a Bill of Rights in this country that defends the rights of Baptists to preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a tax code that gives privileges to ministers of the gospel by that name. That's why America is great. America is not great because they send F-15s to the Middle East. America is great because they have endorsed the gospel of Jesus Christ as a nation for a long time. They're no longer doing it. That was all an answer to the question, would you like to hear about a political program? I don't preach political programs. I preach spiritual inheritance and spiritual blessings, and they're all wrapped up in Jesus Christ, the true seed of Abraham. And this is why we use a King James Bible. We use a King James Bible because when you go back to Genesis, you will not find a single promise made to Abraham and his seeds. You will not find a single promise made to Abraham and his descendants. Every single one is to Abraham and his seed, singular, because God is trying to tell you that every single promise was made in Jesus Christ, and it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and all the promises of Abraham are ours, Because they're spiritual. You poor Galatians. These men coming out of Jerusalem want to tell you that you need to go back under the law? You mean you need to get cursed? You mean you need to go back to something that didn't even have the Spirit of God? No one could perform any miracles? It didn't include the blessing of Abraham? What power. What wonderful liberation Paul gave. And we trust the grace of God that there were Galatians that read this epistle and got up out of that assembly and threw those false teachers out and gave them a one-way ticket back to Jerusalem and said, don't come back. Let them be accursed. Paul had told them in chapter 1. Brethren, know ye something. Know ye therefore. Know ye therefore that we're all the children of Abraham and inheritors of the promises. Abraham's bosom 
and a city made by God is ours. The multitude that no man can number is in heaven. It's the body of the elect out of every nation. See, God has blessed every nation through Abraham and his seed. How? Because Jesus Christ justified men out of every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Amen. Praise the God of heaven. Yes. Salvation is by grace from beginning to end. It has nothing to do with race, and it's been given to us Gentiles from every nation, even the United States of America in the year 2006. Praise his glorious name. Amen.